You think about those words when we sing, don't you? Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross. It calls me to die so that I might live. In no other context other than the Christian faith would those words actually make sense. But for us who believe Jesus, they do make sense to us. We understand what happened on the cross. We understand what Christ did for us. And that song is a song of commitment which says, God, you died for us. We are willing to give our very best to you. Uh, We are willing to give our lives to you. We're willing to sacrifice. It's really a song of commitment. And so that's what we're singing today. That's what we're going to talk about. I want you to keep that idea, that mentality uh, in your mind as we go through this message today, okay? Uh, let's pray as we get started. God, thank you today for just the ability to come worship you, to open your word and study, to learn and be inspired and encouraged and challenged to live lives of committed followers of Jesus. Despite the fact that the world calls us to comfort and security, God, you call us to something different, uh, something that's more meaningful, something that's lasting. And so, God, I pray that we keep that in mind today as we study together, we learn together, we laugh together. And, uh, God, I just pray that you would do something great in our midst today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, by far, my favorite television shows on right now are competition shows. Okay? So whether it be The Voice or Dancing with the Stars or America's Got Talent or even World of Dance, believe it or not. So all of these competition shows are really, uh, I'm into them, and I, I watch and try to follow, you know, pick a few people that I think might win the whole thing. And, uh, and so I was intrigued this year by the Dancing with the Stars. And did you guys watch this season? David Ross, the catcher, uh, former catcher from the Chicago Cubs, who was instrumental in helping them win the World Series last year. Let's just put it this way. He's a better baseball player than he is a dancer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, uh, but he did great. In fact, he got all the way to the finals, mostly because of his popularity, And when interviewed, he said, I'm having so much fun, I wouldn't trade this for the world. So I want to talk to you today about trades. Made any good trades lately? What's something you traded in your life that you said, man, I'm really glad I made that trade. Maybe you uh, traded in uh, one thing for another, you traded in this car for another car, or what have you. So you think about that right now. We're going to have a few opportunities for crowd participation today, which freaks everybody out. But we're going to have a few opportunities for that today. So this is one of them. Turn to your neighbor. Get, tell them some trade you made. Maybe it was as a kid. Maybe it was as an adult. You traded this for this, and it was a really good trade, okay? Girls, don't be like, hey, I traded that boyfriend in for my husband, or, you know, don't do that. But what else? Real quick. All right, did anybody uh, say I traded in a sandwich for like a Twinkie at lunch when I was a kid? Or uh, I traded in this car for a better car. How many of you said you traded a Pokemon card for a better Pokemon card? Anybody say that? No? Any? Okay, or almost. Anybody trade baseball cards? Did you say that? I never traded them. I, the only reason I liked baseball cards as a kid is because they made my my bicycle sound like a motorcycle. You know what I'm saying? This is what happened prior to to all the electronic devices. We used to have to be creative, you know, and uh, it's really crazy. Uh, I want to talk to you today about trades. I want to talk to you about the best trade that you will ever make. It's a trade that the Apostle Paul made uh, in the Scripture. He talks about it. In fact, he talks about it so many times. He talks about it in the book of Galatians, the letter he wrote to a church at Galatia. 
He talks about it in a letter that he wrote to the church at Rome. He talks about it in the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, all right? But he also talks about it right here in the book of Philippians. We've been in Philippians all summer, and and so we're in Philippians chapter 3 now. And we've been looking at memory verses. And here's your memory verse for the week. It's a little bit longer this week, okay? Let's read it together out loud. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I mean, simplify that. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And I consider everything else in my life a loss compared to the trade-in I made for knowing Christ. We're going to unpack that a bit today. And we're going to look at kind of the trade that Paul made in his life. And I think it's going to apply to your life and my life as well. Here's one thing Paul traded in. He traded his self-righteous religious uh, pursuit for a surrendered relationship to Christ. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters. In other words, he said, in another version it says, finally, my brothers and sisters. Now, he's, Paul's a good preacher, right? I mean, he said, finally, like this is my last point, and then he, he has two more chapters to go, all right? We have a tendency to drone on and on. But he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and as a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I mean, this guy, Paul, had this incredible pedigree, okay? If he would have been on, back in his day, it would have been like being on Mediterranean Idol, okay? Or it would have been like he, he, was, he was like most likely to succeed Tarsus, class of AD 22. I mean, this guy had everything, right? I mean, he had the right family. He was born into the right family. He had the right beliefs, he thought. He had the right situation, he thought. He was on a fast track to admiration and acquisition and accumulation. But Jesus showed him that regardless of all of that, all of that was like garbage compared to knowing Christ. So this is who Paul was. He's like, I'm one of the best of the best. I was top of my class. I was Jewish to the core. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. I held that law to the letter. For legalistic righteousness... I had it all together. So in other words, Paul grew up in a very self-righteous, ritualistic religion. And some of you grew up that way too. Uh, You grew up in a faith base where pleasing God had to do with doing a certain number of things or behaving in a certain way or doing certain religious activities. And if you did those religious activities, then God somehow would be pleased with you. Some of you grew up with that. Some of you have transferred that into your your Christianity today, even though God's grace is with you and you've now understood his grace and you've received his forgiveness, you still act as if maybe God won't be happy with you unless you do a certain amount of religious activity. And you still have this mentality that God's not happy with me unless I check off the boxes. And so you got to be careful with that. That's a, a religious activity kind of mentality. But think about it for a second. What's better? A loving relationship where there's mutual 
uh, give and take, where there's love, where there's affection? Or is it better to just do the to-do list in your relationship? You know what I mean? Which is better? Now, to kind of help pull this in together, (laughs) I told you I was going to do a little crowd participation, so now's the opportunity. Uh, First service, I said, well, I might take volunteers, but then I decided just to choose people. So I'll just choose people today, too, all right? So uh, Jordan and Melinda Trox will come on down, all right? You guys welcome them up here, okay? You'll be able to do it. Trust me. I got to get your props out, though. Whoa, hello. Hey, I'm good, all right? I'm all good. All right, Jordan, here's your job. Your station is right here. Melinda, your station is over here. Jordan, you grab your broom and your dustpan, and later you'll grab your duster. All right, Melinda, you come right here. Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to give you the cues. Uh, You guys just follow along um, and follow direction well. Okay. So, um, Jordan uh, begins to sweep. Thank you. Excellent. All right, very good. Uh, Melinda, hey. Just continue. Jordan continues to sweep as if not interested. Uh, Melinda, how was your day? Jordan continues to be uninterested, still sweeps. Melinda, I really want to spend some time with you. You matter so much to me. Jordan says, I'm busy. I have a lot to do around here for you. Melinda, there is time for that. Do you know what I like about you? Jordan holds up his hand as if to say, "Mm mm-mm, not now. (laughs) Melinda, um, do you know what I did? I wrote this love letter for you. Uh, It tells you all about me. Do you want to read it? Jordan, not right now. It's too big. (laughs) All right. Now, this is uh, their first scenario, okay? This is a couple in a relationship. Obviously, he is busy. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He's doing it for her. All right, let's go on. And um, now let's put your broom down, Jordan. Let's turn and face one another and hold hands, okay? Very good. And yeah, yeah. Now repeat these vows after me, saying, I, Jordan. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Melinda, hey. Jordan, how you doing? <laughs> Melinda, I can't wait to hear about your day. Jordan, you won't believe what happened. Melinda, I love you so much. Jordan, you mind if I do a little cleaning? (laughs) I I love you so much, Jordan. Jordan says, I love you so much. (laughs) You do so much for me. I just love serving you. Hug affectionately. Yay. All right, good job, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, obviously, which is better? Right. Why? Because Jordan thinks he's doing the right thing in the first situation, and yet 
he's really not doing the right thing. It really has nothing to do with a relationship. It's all just about, uh, you know, just working. And, and she's asking for what? She's asking for, I want to talk with you. I want to communicate with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. We're in relationship with one another. A relationship, then, what, then he serves based on what? He serves based on the fact that, man, there's just this, this admiration for one another. He realizes all that Melinda has done for him, and he just wants to serve her out of complete dedication. Now, ladies, be honest. Which one would you rather have, right? The guy that's more disinvolved, hey, look, I'm, I'm too busy, but I'm doing this for you, or the guy that's there who's listening, who's caring, who's talking. And Melinda, when she receives that, who's carrying and talking back to him. Listen, the Bible's very clear. God says, I want to know you. And the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. It's a relationship that they're in. It's not a ritualistic, do these 10 things, and if you do that, somehow I'm going to be happy with you. It's a relationship, and then based on that relationship, now I want to serve. Paul made the best trade of his life. He traded in that self-righteous religious pursuit to a surrendered relationship with Christ. Secondly, he traded in worldly gains for knowing Christ. Listen to verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, now I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul said, whatever gains I have in this world, they're like garbage to me compared to knowing Christ. Now real quick, will you just throw out some worldly gains, things that we think are measures of success today? Just throw out a few. Your career, your house, a nice car. Yeah, what else? Yeah, money. So these are the kind of the trappings. We know what they are. Uh, we, we find maybe in money or popularity or Facebook likes or Instagram followers. If I have this number, I'm like, wow, I got more than you. I must be more popular, right? My job, my possessions. Paul had it all. He was esteemed by his colleagues, born in the best family, had the lineage everybody wanted. He was popular in his class. And, and when they stoned Stephen... When we're first introduced to this guy named Paul, also called Saul, we find him in the book of Acts, and his colleagues respected him so much that when they took off their coats, getting ready to stone Stephen, they laid him at Saul's feet, just in an act of, of esteem as well. Paul had it all, but when he was converted to Christianity, he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was actually traveling to kill Christians, but but. The story in Acts chapter 9 records that, that Saul was encountered by Jesus on the road, and Jesus just basically said, "What you're persecuting me by persecuting my kids, and I don't like it. And suddenly this transition right there, Paul realizes what he does, and right there flips the script, and he wants to know Christ, and he realizes everything else, everything else doesn't matter. Worldly possessions, popularity, job, None of it matters. Now, I want two other people, and I've already chosen these two guys, too. I am going to have a couple of my Navy guys, Jonathan Sams and John Sanchez. Come up here, and i got something for you guys to do, okay? So come on up. Give it up for these guys.
All right. Jonathan, you'll be the uh, you'll be the popular guy. <laughs> yeah, bring it, bring it, bring it. <laughs> so um, I, you got the wrong role because I'm giving Jonathan some cash here. All right. Usually I only carry hundreds, but uh, you know, today today it's a, it's a variety. There you go. There's that's, that's everything I have. Um, all right. So. All right, here's the deal. Uh, Jonathan is the popular guy. He's got power. Look, he's, he's got the 10-pound weight, right? He's got, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's popular. He's got, the, uh, he's got the cool shades, and he's even got money, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so here he is. He's got all that. Now, John wants to be his friend, okay? Comes up and uh, says, uh, says this. Hey, just uh, just saw you, and uh, Jonathan says, thanks, it must be my big muscles. <laughs> John says, nope. Uh, then it must be because I'm popular, everybody wants to know me. Nope. Must be because of my money. There's a lot more where this came from. <laughs> nope. Typical guy conversation. <laughs> nice haircut. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, Jonathan says, um, uh, then what is it? John, I'll tell you, but you've got to be willing to give up all that stuff. What? No way. I've earned this. I deserve this. It's mine. John, trust me, what I have is better than all that. What do you want, Jonathan? John, I want your friendship, I love you, money, power, and fame will come and go, but I'll be with you forever. Boom. All right. Give it up for these guys. Well done. You can hug. Oh, yeah, hug affectionately. Hug affectionately. I forgot that part. <laughs> You guys look good. He's keeping the shades, man. At least, hey, you did better than Josh. Josh kept the money. So <clears throat> it's true. It's true. No, he gave it back to me after service. Um, now, here we have one person who wants a friendship, a relationship with another guy. He goes, hey, look, we're bros here, okay? We're in this together. The other one goes, well, what is it, man? It must be all the stuff I have. It must be all of my trappings. But what was more important? What was more important was the relationship, the friendship. What was more important was, hey, we're in this thing together. But listen, in order to have a relationship with me, I don't want all your stuff. I just want you, okay? For Paul, the choice was clear. When it was laid out, do you want all the worldly stuff or do you want Christ? Paul was very clear in his decision. I want to know Christ. In fact, 
all that other stuff is like a garbage can for me. Now that I have the better thing, I don't even want that old stuff anymore. So I just want to ask you, do you you agree with the Apostle Paul? God, whatever I have, whatever I've earned, whatever I've been awarded, I would give it all up just to know Christ, my Savior. Would you trade worldly gains for knowing Christ? It's the best trade. Here's the last thing. Paul traded in false comfort and security for temporary suffering and eternal life. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Following Jesus is not some cushy, easy, no hardship, all lollipops and roses kind of life. In fact, we learn over and over and over again in Scripture that suffering is a part of the curriculum for those who choose to follow Christ. I told you the first time we were introduced to Paul, it was in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen was preaching this message. And he was preaching it before a lot of people who didn't really want to hear the message. And he preached this awesome sermon. And we learned that the religious leaders were so furious that the Bible says they gnashed their teeth at him. Ultimately, they drug him out. But the sermon, the reason it made them so mad is it would completely flip the script on those guys about what their religious system actually was. He didn't talk to them about a God that was a law-keeping or law you know, you've got to follow these laws or follow these rules or you've got to do this or that to make God happy. He was talking about a God, a God of grace and love and mercy, a God that gave his son for them, a God that lived for them, died for them, gave his very best for them. And so this is what Stephen was talking about. And he said, but this God that came among you, you killed. Now, that didn't make them happy. They drug Stephen out into the street and they picked up rocks to stone him to death. And as they are stoning him, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looks up to heaven, sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It's the only time in Scripture where Jesus, you see him at the right hand of God, standing up, as if to say, well done, well done. I'm with you. I mean, you are giving your life for the cause. And Stephen says, as he is dying, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know, Stephen's name in Greek means crown. And I believe that every day of Stephanus' life, Jesus looked on him with great affection, knowing that someday he he would stand up, that Jesus would stand up watching what Stephen was enduring, facing persecution. And not only that, once Stephen was persecuted, there was a great persecution that broke out against the church, and people scattered, and believers were drugged in the street and stoned and crucified, literally giving their life for the cause, which caused Jesus later in the book of Revelation to say that he wants his followers to be faithful, even to the point of death, and he would give them the crown of life. You know, we have this tendency to equate uh, survival with victory, don't we? In other words, overcomers are people who make it through. We don't worry about the ones in Dancing with the Stars who were voted out early on, right? Ah, Mr. T, who cares, right? But we're interested in the ones who make it to the finals. Those are the victors. Those are the ones we think are victorious. We celebrate victory. And so we're tempted when we look at Stephen and his life to say, well, man, what a shame. He could have done so much for the kingdom of God if he had lived, if he would have been able to preach that same message all over the world. Man, that would have been great. What a waste. What a life cut short. What a waste. But God saw it differently. He counted 
Stephen, worthy of the calling. He, he, he suffered for the cause of Christ. Jim Elliott was a missionary to South America who was also martyred for his faith. And he was the one who wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And as he died at the hands of the people, the tribal people in South America in a bloody river, I'm sure his life brought Jesus to his feet as well. Stephen died that day, but ended up with something far better in the presence of God, receiving that standing ovation. I mean, wow. That is a story of inspiration, but it's also sobering, right? To think that he suffered for the cause of Christ. Now listen, all over the world, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that literally are suffering for the cause of Christ. And they are facing that kind of hardship. We like to think we have it so secure here. I mean, we, we like to think if our 401k is just funded, I'm secure. We like to think if I just have enough money to like pay my expenses and then have some, then I'm secure. But trust me, I've learned it over the years. Those things, when something tragic happens in your life, suddenly all that importance that you placed on those possessions, it, it's, it goes away in one, one fell swoop. Get a bad health report, you'll pay anything to get healthy again. Have a child in crisis, you'll pay any amount to make sure that that child is taken care of. Have a prodigal child, you'll do anything to make sure that child is brought back to Christ. Trust me in this, friends. I'm telling you that what you think is secure today, when you are facing some crisis, a crisis in your marriage, an unexpected expense, suddenly you realize it is false security. It's false security. And Jesus is offering something better. And so for our last scenario, I'll tell you that, um, <laughs> that in first hour, I had not practiced this before we did it, all right? And now I have practiced it once, all right? So I would like Tim and Emily Wills to come up here, all right? If you guys could do that, that would be great, okay? <laughs> you can both come up on stage, okay? Both come up on stage. Tim, you stand on that side. Emily, have a seat right there, okay? All right, right, right in this chair, okay? Yeah, sit right here, yeah. Right here. Go ahead. No, you're good. Yeah, trust me. Sit down. Have a seat. Yeah, all right. Okay. All right, all right, all right. You you feeling good? Not really? Okay. All right. So this is Tim and Emily, everybody, okay? And they're here. Uh, And um, (laughs) are you holding her? Okay, yeah. You can let let her. You can let her go. Yeah, trust me. Let Let her go. Yeah, let her go. Wow. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. 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 <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, Tim. Hey. <laughs> Emily. Hey. Tim. Hey, why don't you join me up here? I think it's a little safer. Em- <laughs> em- Emily. No, I'm, I'm good right here. This is comfortable. It's cushy. I'm feeling good. <laughs> Say it like you mean it, okay? And um, Tim, Tim's like, no, trust me, I see things you don't see. Uh, you see shaking? <laughs> Did you say you see shaking? Oh, he might, actually, he might, I don't know. Um, say, no, I'd rather, I'd rather stay here. Tim says, 
Uh, life up here is not easy, but it's better. Will you join me? I trust me, it's more secure. And then Emily, I trust you. Okay. And then you can get up. Yeah. Hug affectionately. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Now, there were things that Tim could see that Emily couldn't see, right? And they weren't sure. I mean, that seat was not that secure. I could have easily tripped. I, I, I kind of have a problem with my shoulder this week. I'm not really feeling that good. You didn't know that, did you? And, uh, but, man, it's a little bit tough, you know. And, uh, but Tim says, I want to invite you to something that I guarantee you is more secure. Now, notice, there was no comfy chair here on stage. There's nothing for her to go, wow, I really want the comfort of the stage. There's nothing comfortable about that. But Tim says, look, it's not going to be easy, but I want you to join me up here. And what I'm telling you is that the things that we think are secure in this world, it's a mirage. Trust me, when a moment of challenge or crisis happens in your life, you're going to realize that security and the things of this world are not as secure as you think they are. Is the life of a believer easy? No, it can be hard, especially around the world. And trust me on this, I've been to places around the world that when I look at fellow believers in places like El Salvador, in, in places like St. Vincent, in places like uh, um, Guyana, South America, when I've encountered people in, in, in third world countries that are, are facing real hardship, okay, not the kind of things that we think are hardship here in America, okay, and here's what I found about these people. Despite the fact that they barely have necessities of life, they are more filled with joy and contentment and just trust in Jesus than what most of the people that we encounter in the United States are. Why? Because we have so much. It's so hard to trust Christ when we have our own trust of ourselves, our own trust of what the world offers. And Paul says, I'm calling you to a better life. A life of true joy, a life of true obedience, a life that says, oh, God, I'm going to trust you even in the midst of, of, of hard times. You see, we're making a trade. We're trading that self-righteous religious pursuit for a relationship with Jesus, a surrendered relationship. We are, we are trading in this, this security that we find in possessions and popularity and power to say, I just want to know Christ. Those things are like rubbish to me, and we are trading in this, this false security and comfort that we have today for an eternal life with Christ. When I was a kid, we used to sing the song, Trust and Obey. It was an old hymn. Uh, and here are some of the words of that song. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, with all who will trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or even a cross, but it's but is blessed if we trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will, we, will, we will sit at his feet and we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. It's a, it's a matter of saying, God, I trust you, and I know that I find my security in something else, but I want to find my security in you. Paul says, 
I consider everything I've gained as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ, to having a relationship with Christ. So I want to ask you today, we're going to have a time of worship here in a minute, and when we do, I want to I ask you to reflect for just a, a couple moments. Is there anything you're holding on to uh, as you're sitting back in that chair, anything you're holding on to that you think is keeping you secure, but it's keeping you, there's a barrier between you and your relationship with Christ, you're not able to go all the way with Christ because you feel like I'm holding on to some things. What is that? If you have never come to faith in Christ, then uh, you can have that opportunity. We are always ready to be able to, to have you come and say, I believe that Christ is Lord. I'm I sorry, God, for my sins. I want to receive you as my Savior. I want to be baptized into you. And just like the Apostle Paul who did, when he met Jesus on that road, he went back to, a, to an individual's house. And Ananias took him, spoke the gospel to him, and he baptized him. And you can have that opportunity too. You can have a new start. Paul went from blindness to sight. People have asked, why did Paul get blind when Jesus encountered him? I think he went blind because Jesus wanted him to have a humble moment. Jesus wanted him to know, like the words of amazing grace, I was once blind and now I can see. Because there's something that happens when you are converted to Christianity that like the blindness falls off. Everything you thought was secure, you realize it's not secure at all. I just want to know Christ. So I want to pray for you today. If you have decisions like that to make, I want you to talk to us. I want you to make it clear. These are decisions I want to make. I want to know Christ. You let us know. We'll be here waiting for that decision. God, we thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you make a clear choice for us. We serve you not out of ritual, but out of relationship. We love you because you first loved us. God, we don't look to popularity. We don't look to power or prestige or possessions. We want to look to you, God. All those things are like garbage compared to knowing Christ. And we don't want to find our security in false security. We want to find it in that eternity with you. But we know it's not going to be easy. But we trust you. We trust you. God, we love you. Today we worship you and honor you. And now in these moments, we want to celebrate you. As you, as you took care of us, you gave us your very best on the cross. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.